my father has gotten me a book, Rules for Reformers, that he's been preaching from a couple of times. And this sermon isn't directly from it, but it's related to a lot of those themes. I was reading Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, which if you've never read is an absolutely wonderful introduction to the Christian faith. And there's a chapter in there on patriotism. And as I mentioned, I wanted to give a sermon about patriotism last month because I was preaching on Independence Day and God had something else for me to say. So I get to give it now. So I'm going to go back just over 100 years. At the start of World War I, the situation for the French was terrible. They had declared war on Germany because Germany had declared war on Russia, because Russia had declared war on Austria-Hungary, because Austria-Hungary had declared war on Serbia, because Serbia had shot the Archduke of Austria-Hungary. It's a quick history refresher for all of you. France invaded Germany to make good on their war and they were crushed. The French lines were driven back and it looked as if France was going to completely collapse, despite the fact they had British troops. Last time the French had fought the Germans, the Prussians at the time, had been the Franco-Prussian War. And France's lines had collapsed, they had been defeated within weeks. Germany crowned their new emperor in Versailles, to the shame of the French. And it was happening again. The French lines were collapsing, the Germans were marching through unopposed. And then one French general succeeded in holding the line. He held the hinge point and started a counterattack called the Battle of the Marne, which would be the decisive battle of the war, although many didn't know it at the time. In fact, the German field marshal went back to the Kaiser and said, I have just lost the war after the Battle of the Marne because he no longer had the strategic initiative. The French and the British would establish a line of trenches that would enable them to finally push the Germans back and break them. The general's name was Ferdinand Foch. He would eventually become the supreme commander of all the Allied troops in World War I due to this. He was fighting in the marshes of central France, and he radioed a famous message back to his command. Mon centre cide, mon droit recule, situation excellente, j'attaque. In English, my center is yielding, my right is retreating. My situation is excellent and I am attacking. And he did. That's, that is exactly what he did. He was a seminal figure, actually. He was a devout, devout Catholic. His brother would become a priest, and he was raised in Catholic schooling. And the reason he wasn't the supreme commander in France at the time was because of that. The French Third Republic was very afraid that the Catholics would set up a theocratic monarchy again. It was anti-clerical. So they had promoted an atheist instead of him, rather than promoting a Catholic. He was a professor. He ended up a professor of military philosophy, and then when the war broke out, was given command of a corps. But what he understood, the fundamental of that quote was, no war is ever won in static defense. The French, when the Germans started attacking, had thought that they could put up a defense. They would think it again in World War II, putting up the Maginot Line, a line of fortifications on the French-German border, which was thought to be impenetrable. He understood that holding the same positions you've always held is a recipe for defeat, for collapse, and for destruction. No, this doesn't mean ceding the territory. Folk did not believe in ceding French territory to the Germans. But it means not forming a single static position that you can attack. 
Robert Heinlein had a quote which I love. One wins a war by attacking one's enemies, which is why no Department of Defense has ever won one. Since the United States formed the Department of Defense, we have never won a war. That's an interesting fact. We are in a spiritual war. We are in a war against the powers of this world. So we also need to understand that. Even when things seem poor, we must find those places that we can still sustain an attack. Because not attacking is accepting defeat. I don't call myself a conservative anymore for that reason. And I think the words of Falk really got in my soul why I don't. Conservatives in the United States used to occupy one of the strongest fortified positions that any political group has ever established. Look at the positions of the Republican Party in the 1980s and 1990s and look at opinion polls of what the people of the United States at the time believed. I don't know that there's ever been a party that had a people that so firmly agreed with it across the board. Their positions had supermajorities of embarrassing size. 90% of people were opposed to gay marriage. They believed in having a strong military, a home and abroad to defeat communism. I believe the number is that something like 78% of Americans believe that defeating communism should be the principal goal of our military. Reagan was elected with majorities that seem comical these days. They believed in the family as the foundation of what it meant to be American. And they lost. They lost so catastrophically and completely that America doesn't hold those positions. I want you to understand this. They had a position that was impregnable. The conservatives were lined up along the Maginot Line. They had the support of the entire country, and they collapsed. Today, you can't get somebody in office who will stand up and say, I believe it should be the law of the United States that marriage is between one man and one woman. There is, to my knowledge, no major politician who is willing to stand up and say that's their position. That law was never passed. No, nobody passed a bill. It wasn't popular, and they lost. They were routed. It's actually one thing that Trump, uh, and as flawed a man and as flawed a president as, as we've ever had, he's, he's not a great politician. He doesn't do a good job at the technical whipping of people and getting his votes through and all of that. But he understands we've got to fight. He understands that it's not enough to simply be on the defensive. That you have to take the fight to the enemy, to find where they're weak and attack. I mentioned that my sermon was about patriotism. And it is. And this comes from... Chesterton, talking about life, whatever the reason, it seemed, and it still seems to me, that our attitude toward life can be better expressed in terms of a kind of military loyalty than in terms of criticism and approval. My acceptance of the universe is not optimism, it's patriotism. The example Chesterton uses in the chapter, I really do recommend you go read the whole thing because he's a much better writer than I am a speaker. But he uses the example of Pimlico, which is a suburb of London. And in the 1910s, when Chesterton was writing, it was a place of poverty, a place of vice, and a place of criminality. It was not a good place. You may substitute in your mind Detroit, 
or Baltimore or any of those places in the United States that have fallen into ruin. It is not enough for a man to disapprove of Pimlico. In that case, he will merely cut his throat or move to Chelsea. Nor certainly is it enough for a man to approve of Pimlico, for then it will remain Pimlico, which would be awful. The only way out of it would be for somebody to love Pimlico. If there arose a man who loved Pimlico, then it would rise into ivory towers and golden pinnacles. You may not think that that's possible, but that is in fact the history of humanity. Men did not love Rome because it was great. Rome was great because they loved her. It's a long quote, but I like it because it fits my feelings on patriotism. This is the love I have for America. And knowing that, and this discussion of the war, that's what has to be done to save her. We need a love. We need a love that is offensive. A love that doesn't defend the positions of the past. One of the things that is true is that America has been better off than it is today. That's true in all sorts of metrics. It's true it's been worse off than it is today in all sorts of metrics. None of that matters. What matters is that you love her. A love that desires to change her, that desires to adorn her, that desires to see her rise with ivory towers and golden pinnacles, that desires to conquer her for the Lord. Because that conquest can only come from that kind of love. Something that you like, you take as it is. Something that you dislike, you try to change. Something that you love, you try to perfect. And that's what is in front of us in this spiritual war, is love. I don't love Britain, although I wish her well as the place that's our origin, as Chesterton did. I don't love Germany, China, or Ethiopia. Their success or failure, it doesn't weigh on me. There's a quote that I heard that was delightful from a, uh, a Spanish man in the 1960s when Spain was under the rule of Franco. And he said, government is too important for me. Mr. Franco handles government and I fish. And that, that's sort of the way that I look at the rest of the world. They handle their own business and I fish. But in America, we are the government. We have that task to make sure that our government stands up and does well. And that's one of the things that I love about the book that my father gave me, is it's about how to take the war. My father's been going through the principles of war and how to look at that tactically. And I agree with all of that. It's been an excellent book, very eye-opening for all of that. But what I want to emphasize here and now is the moral reason for the war, the soul that works for us, the thing that makes it successful. And that is a people that are ready to move and ready to act. A war is only won by attacking. One of the reasons that the United States could not win the war in Vietnam was because our government refused to let us attack. And as valiant as the Americans who fought there and gave their lives there were, they could never win as long as they were defending. They were better soldiers, man to man, 
The Americans were better trained, better equipped, and better prepared. And they lost the war because the Secretary of Defense refused to attack. The war in Korea was lost for the same reason, because they wouldn't allow them to attack beyond the Yalu River. Defending loses wars with better men, with better equipment, with superior numbers, and you still lose. But understand that can now be used to our advantage. Now that our enemy has territory, find where they're defending, find where they're static, and use those points to attack. Ferdinand Falk was the forefather of blitzkrieg warfare. One of the things that he said is, action is the governing rule of war. The man who has action controls the war. Doesn't matter how many people the other side does. So take that in the spiritual war and begin into action. I'm going to leave you with a couple more quotes from Falk, who, as I said, was a great Christian and a great man. You may think, Matt, have you been reading Ferdinand Falk and loving his quotes? Yes, I have. And that's why you're getting them, because they're wonderful. One of the things to understand is that the First World War was the first industrial war. And it's important to understand this quote in the context of an industrial war. The most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. Falk understood that in the middle of an industrial war fought by artillery and factories, the most powerful weapon, even in a war like that, is a human soul that was on fire with love for France, for God, for America, for the things that we believe in. Once he was put in command, he turned the trenches from a static war to a dynamic one, enabling tactics like tanks to break lines and maneuver behind the Germans, broke the German 100-day offensive and ended the war. He was given the title of Marshal of France, as well as Marshal of the United Kingdom and Marshal of Poland. He was one of the men who forged the modern French Republic, where no longer were Catholics banned from high positions. And if he had been listened to at the Versailles Peace Conference, Adolf Hitler would not have arisen. He famously said at the end of the war, this is not a peace, it is an armistice for 20 years. 20 years later, World War II would break out. This is a man who understood what was needed in war. Take his advice. Find the tactics that you need. We'll be giving them over the next month. But understand that none of it matters if your soul is not lit on fire. Take that patriotism, that love of America, and win this war. Our center is yielding. Our right is retreating. But our situation is excellent. Attack. <laughs>